Good morning, good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Damien Barr and I'm in Scotland right now filming the next series of the Big Scottish Book Club which is coming to you on iPlayer and BBC Scotland on the 31st of October. So a wee note for your diary there. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. It's all about our new Salon exclusive. Another chance to hear one of the new books that we are most excited about. Now, when I tell you I'm thrilled about our next book, that is an understatement. We love Amor Tells here at the Salon and he launched the international bestseller A Gentleman in Moscow with us at our Salon at the Savoy and you can hear that on our podcast now. So he's come back to us to launch his new novel which is called The Lincoln Highway and it's already a New York Times bestseller. Ah, the author in me dreams of that. In his new novel, Amor takes us to June 1954. We meet 18-year-old Emmett Watson. He's driven home to Nebraska by the warden of the juvenile work farm where he's just served 15 months for involuntary manslaughter. And he's about to discover that things are not all right at the farm and receive some very disappointing news. So let's have a listen to the first chapter of the brilliant new book from Amor Tows. Emmett. June 12, 1954. The drive from Salina to Morgan was three hours, and for much of it, Emmett hadn't said a word. For the first 60 miles or so, Warden Williams had made an effort at friendly conversation. He had told a few stories about his childhood back east and asked a few questions about Emmett's on the farm. But this was the last they'd be together, and Emmett didn't see much sense in going into all of that now. So when they crossed the border from Kansas into Nebraska and the warden turned on the radio, Emmett stared out the window at the prairie, keeping his thoughts to himself. When they were five miles south of town, Emmett pointed through the windshield. You take that next right. It'll be the White House about four miles down the road. The warden slowed his car and took the turn. They drove past the McCusker place, then the Andersons, with its matching pair of large red barns. A few minutes later, they could see Emmett's house standing beside a small grove of oak trees about 30 yards from the road. To Emmett, all the houses in this part of the country looked like they'd been dropped from the sky. The Watson house just looked like it had had a rougher landing. The roof line sagged on either side of the chimney, and the window frames were slanted just enough that half the windows wouldn't quite open and the other half wouldn't quite shut. In another moment, they'd be able to see how the paint had been shaken right off the clapboard. But when they got within a hundred feet of the driveway, the warden pulled to the side of the road. Emmett, he said, with his hands on the wheel. Before we drive in, there's something I'd like to say. That Warden Williams had something to say didn't come as much of a surprise. When Emmett had first arrived at Salina, the warden was a Hoosier named Ackerley who wasn't inclined to put into words a piece of advice that could be delivered more efficiently with a stick. But Warden Williams was a modern man, with a master's degree and good intentions, and a framed photograph of Franklin D. Roosevelt hanging behind his desk. He had notions that he'd gathered from books and experience, and he had plenty of words at his disposal to turn them into counsel. For some of the young men who come to Salina, he began, Whatever series of events has brought them under our sphere of influence is just the beginning of a long journey through a life of trouble. They're boys who are never given much sense of right or wrong as children and who see little reason for learning it now. 
Whatever values or ambitions we try to instill in them will in all likelihood be cast aside the moment they walk out from under our gaze. Sadly for these boys, it is only a matter of time before they find themselves in the correctional facility at Topeka, or worse. The warden turned to Emmett. What I'm getting at, Emmett, is that you are not one of them. We haven't known each other long, but from my time with you I can tell that that boy's death weighs heavily on your conscience. No one imagines what happened that night reflects either the spirit of malice or an expression of your character. It was the ugly side of chance. But as a civilized society, we ask that even those who have had an unintended hand in the misfortune of others pay some retribution. Of course, the payment of the retribution is in part to satisfy those who've suffered the brunt of the misfortune, like this boy's family. But we also require that it be paid for the benefit of the young man who was the agent of misfortune, so that by having the opportunity to pay his debt, he too can find some solace, some sense of atonement, and thus begin the process of renewal. Do you understand me, Emmett? I do, sir. I'm glad to hear it. I know you've got your brother to care for now, and the immediate future may seem daunting, but you're a bright young man, and you've got your whole life ahead of you. Having paid your debt in full, I just hope you'll make the most of your liberty. That's what I intend to do, Warden. And in that moment, Emmett meant it. Because he agreed with most of what the Warden said. He knew in the strongest of terms that his whole life was ahead of him. And he knew that he needed to care for his brother. He knew, too, that he had been an agent of misfortune rather than its author. But he didn't agree that his debt had been paid in full. For no matter how much chance has played a role, when by your hands you have brought another man's time on earth to its end, to prove to the Almighty that you are worthy of his mercy, that shouldn't take any less than the rest of your life. The warden put the car in gear and turned into the Watsons. In the clearing by the front porch were two cars, a sedan and a pickup. The warden parked beside the pickup. When he and Emmett got out of the car, a tall man with a cowboy hat in his hand came out the front door and off the porch. Hey there, Emmett. Hey, Mr. Ransom. The warden extended his hand to the rancher. I'm Warden Williams. It was nice of you to take the trouble to meet us. There's no trouble, Warden. I gather you've known Emmett a long time. Since the day he was born. The warden put a hand on Emmett's shoulder then I don't need to explain to you what a fine young man he is. I was just telling him in the car that having paid his debt to society, he's got his whole life ahead of him. He does it that, agreed Mr. Ransom. The three men stood without speaking. The warden had lived in the Midwest for less than a year now, but he knew from standing at the foot of other farmhouse porches that at this point in a conversation you were likely to be invited inside and offered something cool to drink. And when you receive the invitation, you should be ready to accept, because it would be taken as rude if you were to decline, even if you did have a three-hour drive ahead of you. But neither Emmett nor Mr. Ransom made any indication of asking the warden in. Well, he said after a moment, I guess I should be heading back. Emmett and Mr. Ransom offered a final thanks to the warden, shook his hand, 
then watched as he climbed in his car and drove away. The warden was a quarter mile down the road when Emmett nodded toward the sedan. Mr. Obermeyers? He's waiting in the kitchen. And Billy? I told Sally to bring him over a little later, so you and Tom can get your business done. Emmett nodded. You ready to go in? asked Mr. Ransom. The sooner the better, said Emmett. They found Tom Obermeyer seated at the small kitchen table. He was wearing a white shirt with short sleeves and a tie. If he was also wearing a suit coat, he must have left it in his car because it wasn't hanging on the back of the chair. When Emmett and Mr. Ransom came through the door, they seemed to catch the banker off his guard because he abruptly scraped back the chair, stood up, and stuck out his hand all in a single motion. Well, hey now, Emmett, it's good to see you. Emmett shook the banker's hand without a reply. Taking a look around, Emmett noted that the floor was swept, the counter clear, the sink empty, the cabinets closed. The kitchen looked cleaner than at any point in Emmett's memory. Here, Mr. Obermeyer said, gesturing to the table. Why don't we all sit down? Emmett took the chair opposite the banker. Mr. Ransom remained standing, leaning his shoulder against the doorframe. On the table was a brown folder thick with papers. It was sitting just out of the banker's reach, as if it had been left there by somebody else. Mr. Obermeyer cleared his throat. First of all, Emmett, let me say how sorry I am about your father. He was a fine man and too young to be taken by illness. Thank you. I gather when you came for the funeral that Walter Eberstadt had a chance to sit down with you and discuss your father's estate. He did, said Emmett. The banker nodded with a look of sympathetic understanding. Then I suspect Walter explained that three years ago, your father took out a new loan on top of the old mortgage. At the time, he said it was to upgrade his equipment. In actuality, I suspect a good portion of that loan went to pay some older debts, since the only new piece of farm equipment we could find on the property was the John Deere in the barn. Though I suppose that's neither here nor there. Emmett and Mr. Ransom seemed to agree that this was neither here nor there, because neither made any effort to respond. The banker cleared his throat again. The point I'm getting to is that in the last few years, the harvest wasn't what your father had hoped. And this year, what with your father's passing, there isn't going to be a harvest at all. So we had no choice but to call in the loan. It's an unpleasant bit of business, I know, Emmett. But I want you to understand that it was not an easy decision for the bank to make. I should think it would be a pretty easy decision for you to make by now, said Mr. Ransom given how much practice you get at making it. The banker looked to the rancher. Now, Ed, you know that's not fair. No bank makes a loan in hopes of foreclosing. Poor Emmett, though, out of the frying pan and into the fire. However, soon he is joined by friends that he's made at the work farm and they have cooked up a plan that is going to take them on this journey all the way 
to New York City. Time magazine loves the book, describes it as a rollicking cross-country adventure rife with unforgettable characters, vivid scenery and suspense. It's a big book and it's one that you're going to lose yourself in and I hope that you very much enjoy it. It is published by Hutchison Heinemann and you can get it now in indie bookshops. Indie bookshops do very well out of Amortals. So he's got another two that you can crack on with once you finish this. Head down to your local indie, they have a copy for you and if you know somebody who loves Amor's books then share this podcast with them so they can be the first to hear him reading from his new novel. Thank you for joining us today and if you haven't yet signed up for our newsletter please do because it's the only way you're going to be first in line for tickets for our events and we return in the autumn we've got three salons on sale right now and I hope to see you at one of them online or in person. Thank you for listening. It is a pleasure to have your ears. I hope you can join us again soon. And I look forward to waving at you from your TV on the next episode of the Big Scottish Book Club.